The Church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. Curious to know how many of you traveled out of state to be with loved ones this past week. Our family did. How many of you had family from out of state travel in state to be with you? How many of you had just the right amount of family time? (laughs) I hope my mother's not listening to this sermon. (laughs) You know, an important part of a visit with family who live far away, who you don't see very often, in our case, maybe three to four times a year, is when you first see them, everybody hugs each other. So good to see you. Thank you for coming. We've been looking forward to this. Let me show you where you're going to sleep and all that. And then the moment of farewell. And in that moment of farewell, it typically includes hugs, uh, offers of gratitude for the hospitality, the food and the space and so on. And sometimes you know that you won't see them for many months. At other times, you don't know when you'll see them again and it's left open-ended. Those are important conversations to have. The way that we enter into a space with someone we love and what is communicated We prepare to depart that space with someone that we love. Jesus' final words to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 stand above the other three Gospels in terms of how memorable the words are that Jesus shares with his disciples. We call them the Great Commission. Now, it's important to know where this takes place in or just outside of Jerusalem. So in this map of the first century uh, rendering of Jerusalem, you can see it oriented. It's oriented north and south and and east and west. And you can see the large rectangle kind of there toward the left-hand part of the picture. That's the temple and the large outside temple court area. In just two months, I'll be going with eight to ten other members of our church to Israel on a trip, and we'll be standing on the very steps where Jesus himself would have stood 2,000 years ago. Just outside, on the right side part of the temple circumference, there's a significant drop-off. There's a valley, and you can't really tell by the way that this map is laid out because it's not a topographical map, but there's a small, a small valley called the Kidron Valley, which begins on the backside of the temple and then goes down just a little bit and then up on the Mount of Olives to the t- top portion of the Mount of Olives where the red arrow is indicating. Right there at the bottom in the Kidron Valley, You have the temple, the the valley, you would have crossed over a small walking bridge, and there would have been at the Mount of Olives the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would have gone to pray with his disciples after the Last Supper. But when Jesus is raised from the dead, it's 40 days later that Jesus summons his disciples to come with me. And he ascends, he goes across the Kidron Valley, he goes up the Mount of Olives, and gives what is called in Matthew's Gospel the fair well commission the farewell discourse the last words jesus will speak on this earth before mysteriously and mystically ascending behind the clouds into the presence of his heavenly father now i just want you to imagine for a moment how this would have felt for the disciples almost all the disciples are not from the jerusalem area that's in southern israel they're from galilee the northern part of israel and about three years ago they left their livelihood They went on leave from their families if they were married and had children. And they've been following around their rabbi, listening to his teachings, and trying their best to begin to model their behavior after his. 
But across this journey in three years, they went from looking at Jesus as just a rabbi who had a lot of wise teachings and an insight to provide on the Old Testament faith that they shared. It wasn't long when they were following Jesus before they saw someone sick walk up to Jesus. Someone who was physically and visibly ill. And Jesus reached out to that person, laid his hand on them, prayed for them, and the person in some unexplainable way is healed. They saw Jesus in a crowd of 5,000 people who didn't all have lunch. Take five loaves of bread and two small fish from a sacrificial gift from a 12-year-old boy. Jesus gave thanks to his father for that food. He broke it and began to pass it out. And somehow, not only did everybody have enough to eat, but there were 12 basketfuls left over. They had seen Jesus not too long before his crucifixion and resurrection hear that his good, close family friend Lazarus had died. And Jesus weeps like we would. Jesus then goes to the place where Lazarus is buried to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out of there. And out walks mummified Lazarus, back from the dead. Then, just to tip the scales even that much more, they were with Jesus at the Last Supper. They heard him repurpose the Passover meal with some kind of new ritual where he identified with the bread and with the cup as the body and the blood. And it was for the forgiveness of their sins. And surely they couldn't have understand all that that meant. And then they left the meal, went to Gethsemane where Jesus would be arrested by the religious leaders, handed over to the Romans. He would receive the over three dozen lashes on his back. He would be nailed to a cross on Friday and his lifeless, breathless body would be removed from a cross on Friday night. The disciples, having already scattered, already abandoned him, scared to death that they might be next, on Sunday morning, have their rabbi show up and come back to them to reconcile with them despite their betrayal and their living with him for 40 days. And Jesus says, this Jesus who has turned from insightful rabbi to the Son of Almighty God in their mind? They'd gather on the Mount of Olives. In verses 18 through 20, Jesus layers them with just incredible teaching that we could pick apart for weeks. Jesus says in verse 18, Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Jesus draws near. It's almost like he leans in like a friend would, maybe with an embrace to reassure them, give them clear instructions, powerful teaching, incredible claims about himself and them. And Jesus says, just to remind you, the creator on the, of the universe has authorized me to be his representative. And I'm leaving everything in your hands. Therefore, get out of here. Leave. Go. And baptize people as they respond to the gospel. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then, once they belong, then you can start working on their behavior. Then you can teach them what it means to live according to the way that I have taught you. Now look, I know this is scary because 40 days ago, 42 days ago, you saw me executed. You saw me be raised from the dead. 
and the combination of the fear that you might be next compiled with the fact that now I've come back from the dead and you have seen me in the flesh. I, I get it. So I want you to know I'm not leaving you alone. My spirit, I will be with you every single day throughout this present age. Some translations say throughout the fulfillment of time. This is the Great Commission. God simply says, go. Now this is consistent with everything that Jesus has taught and understood and everything we've read in the 39 books of the Old Testament. Think about it with me. What is consistent about being a follower of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the Father, and Jesus Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as God's triune nature is unfolded? What's consistent between those Old Testament books and the New Testament books? One consistent thing is this. The story of God's redemption of the world begins with Israel, begins with Father Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 12, God simply says to Abram, go, and Abram says, Okay, now God doesn't tell him where he's going. God doesn't tell him what to do when he gets there. It's open-ended, location and your responsibilities. Just, I want you to sell your house. I want you to leave everything that's familiar to get outside your comfort zone and take everybody in your household and all your belongings and go to the place that I will show you. It's the same God that stands before Moses in a burning bush hundreds of years later and says, Hey, Moses. You remember the place where you're from in Egypt? I'd like you to go back. Now, I understand your wanted posters are still in every post office and on every telephone pole. I get that. But I want you to go. The theme continues. I, I won't walk through the Old Testament with you, but I will just lift up what Walter Kaiser, a biblical scholar, has observed. Across the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, some variation of sentness is employed over 200 times with God as the subject of the verb. One of the most consistent themes is, is that God sends God's people. God simply says, go. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're going to do. But somehow we just have a mission and we're supposed to get out there. In 2013, I went with a previous church that I was serving to Bolivia in South America with 10 or 12 other people. We went on a mission trip because we were supposed to help out in a Methodist school there in Bolivia. We were supposed to work with the children and have kind of a um, a spiritual retreat week with them and help out with some painting and renovation projects. And our plane landed. And uh, Elaine, you were with us. You remember how this. Our plane landed. And our host picked us up. And we realized the next morning they had totally misscheduled the timing of our visit and the school was completely dismissed for two weeks. Now we learned tragically, we... we chuckle about it now in hindsight, we learned tragically that the person who was our in-country liaison was beginning to suffer some significant dementia, and they actually, after our trip, uh, was, we, we went home to be with their family and so that they could be cared for. So we found ourselves in-country with not real clear directions about what it is we were supposed to be doing for the next nine days. And so our in-country host introduced us to a local Bolivian Methodist pastor and kind of explained our situation and said, we're looking for some way to be helpful. And so, do you know of anyone who could use some help? Pastor said, oh yes, I know exactly where we can use your help. We got in our small bus and went across town to a small orphanage. We saw children kicking a soccer ball in a field depicted here. The pastor told us, we have some classrooms where the stucco and the coating on the walls need to be knocked off and they need to be painted. 
And then we have a small farm that we need some help with and um, tilling the soil and helping plant some new things. And so those are a couple of the projects, if you wouldn't mind. And throughout each day, you'll have opportunities to interact with those children and so on. And we made our way around the grounds, getting a tour of the entire orphanage and campus. And on our way out to the field, I noticed those children who worked to help raise their own vegetables within the field had to walk between where they lived and ate and played to the field through a small valley, a small gulch, a ditch. Had mud in the bottom, water that ran through, especially when it was raining, of course. And then they had to climb through spreading barbed wire to get to the actual field. We had been walking around the campus, and I asked through our interpreter, the Methodist pastor, I said, you know, I noticed some lumber laying up back against one of those buildings, and there were a couple of long beams and there was some random assortment of wooden planks. And I'm wondering, I'm kind of a pretend carpenter. If we can come up with enough tools, would it be okay if me and a few other people helped to build a little bit of a walking bridge across this ditch so that the children don't have to walk through the ditch? And then maybe, if we have enough time, we could get some post hole diggers and we could install a gate on the fence, a couple of more posts so that they don't have to walk through between the barbed wire fences. The pastor was delighted with this idea, and so we went to work. We began building a bridge, perhaps in some metaphorical way, a work that God was preparing for me many years later. What I found throughout that week was this. It was a human error that misscheduled our trip. I don't think God had anything to do with misscheduling our trip. God didn't cause that. That wasn't God's plan, so to speak. I don't think so. But what I do believe is God's redemptive work already taking place in Bolivia could not be thwarted. And God immediately, like a GPS correcting when someone takes a wrong turn, renegotiated and renavigated us toward a place where we could be useful. And we found that not only were we able to find and fill up every good work that we could do across nine days, not only did it bring benefit to them, but we saw God at work in our midst. And those of us that had gone, those of us that were obedient to God saying go, probably received the lion's share of the blessing compared to anyone else. To be a follower of Jesus is to be sent. With every opportunity that we have to get in the car in the morning, to make our way to a cubicle, to sit down or behind an office door, we are being sent into that world. To walk the dog at the park and interact and pass neighbors on the sidewalk. We are being sent. We are a part of God's mission. To move into the living rooms and around the dinner tables with the people who know us best and love us anyway. We are being sent by God into the world. Church is not just a noun, not just a physical structure, a place where we go. It is an organic pouring out of God's spirit into flesh and blood of the people in this room. It is an action, it's an activity, and God is calling us to go into the world. Now, if you're like me, you've probably at some point in your life been approached by another brother or sister in Christ whom you did not know. They, too, were obeying what they believed to be God saying, go. And they approached you and said, excuse me, ma'am, sir, if you died tonight, would you go to hell or heaven? I have a track here I'd like to tell you about. I have a Bible. I've and you're approached and you're kind of caught off guard. Maybe it was at the front door of your home. Maybe it was in a parking lot or, you know, leaving somewhere when you were shopping or eating. And you kind of felt a little bit uncomfortable in this exchange. Anybody ever had that happen? Anybody want that to happen again? 
No, it feels weird. I mean, when people knock on my door, and it even happens here, it's happened twice in the last year, where somebody has faith to share, and I open the door, and I'm, I'm polite and kind, and I basically say with a little fewer words, like, we have all the Jesus we need. Thank you very much. Can I get you a glass of water before you leave? Hint, hint. And then, okay, you guys have a great day. and move on. We all know, my point is, people who have taken that command to be sent, and they've done so perhaps insensitively, or obnoxiously, some of them even harmfully. And I will tell you that because I'm wired, naturally wired as an introvert, I sometimes want to hide behind that bad example as an excuse to not be sent myself. It takes a little bit more energy for me to engage with a server in a restaurant, to engage with someone at a park, to talk to someone, even sometimes, who is a visitor in our own church. It requires that energy, a little bit of action for me. It's not the most naturally way that I am wired. And God says to me every single time, go. Look for an opportunity to be a blessing, to speak a word of kindness, to do something for, to help someone know that they have value and worth in the eyes of God because hopefully there's a light shining within me that is so bright that someone else can begin to see it. Christians are to go, not to take God on a mission trip with us. <laughs> God forgive me for our arrogance. But rather to go on a trip, being obedient to God's invitation to find out what God is already doing and to find my life as helpful within God's redemptive purposes. Last Sunday was our celebration Sunday as a church. And as I talked about earlier in our, in our worship service together, it was an important day. For our church to build an inventory of God's people ready to serve and embrace God's mission over the next year. An incredible day, wonderful day, beautiful brunch, wonderful music. It was a great day. At the end of that worship service, though, we put something in the hands of each household that was here. We gave everyone an envelope, an unmarked, sealed envelope. Now, those of you that were here remember that in that envelope, after we handed them out, we asked everyone to open them. And that envelope had a cash bill in it. Some had $5 bills, some had $10 bills, and the most had $20 bills. Now, we empowered and encouraged people to do two things. One is decide how, in the next seven days, you will bless someone outside of your family in any way the Holy Spirit leads you. Okay? And number two, tell us what you did. Share your stories of how God sent you into the world to be a blessing to someone else. We received all kinds of wonderful stories this week, and we can't share all of them, but I want you to hear some of the ways that God has been in work in making our church less of a noun and more of a verb. Ms. Sharon Tatum sent a lovely picture and testimonial saying, I've known Dot Scott for over 66 years. She was one of my mom's best friends. She is such a blessing to me, so, and so I was so happy to be able to bless her with a poinsettia from our church. She was so excited to get it. David and Tyler Holmes shared the story. Uh, this testimonial came in. My son Tyler didn't want to wait long to give a blessing out to the family behind us in Milo's. The blessing we received was paid forward for, and we are truly thankful for what God and CARB has done in both our lives. We are so thankful to be a part of the CARB family. God bless. Miss Ernestine Chapel said, I took a plant on Thanksgiving to a 99-year-old man in skilled care shown here with his wife. Ms. Marcia Stedman shared yesterday on social media 
Last Sunday, the church at Rossbridge gave each family an envelope with money in it with instructions to use it to bless someone. My family combined our envelope with my dad's envelope and treated a friend of mine who has had a rough week to an hour of salt therapy with soft lighting, soft music, sounds from the beach, and zero-gravity chairs. Awesome rest. The Caldwell family uh, made bags to keep in our cars to hand out to homeless people at red lights. I never have cash to hand them, so I thought this would be a good way to be prepared. Tame and Scott Charette. I bought several items for Brookdale's skilled nursing on Lakeshore. My mom was there this summer after she broke her hip. Her stay was temporary, but for most of the people, this is their last home. They play bingo on Tuesdays and have a box of gifts the winners can choose from. So I bought items for the winner's gift box. Four scarves, four bracelets, two socks, six bows, three pairs of earrings, and two necklaces. The two ladies are employees there and were very grateful. The Cone family shared this story. Our family decided to buy toys for the children of the women at the Love Lady Center. Rayleigh and Layla loved choosing the toys and taking them into the center. And finally, Terry and Randy Prince submitted what I felt was a very touching story. They did not submit this image, but I share that image so that you will have the context of what took place. Most of you who are from Birmingham are aware that there was a tragic event on Thanksgiving night at the Galleria Mall. Uh, where there was an altercation between some individuals. There were shots fired. Uh, someone lost their life, a young man, and a 12-year-old girl was injured and has been at Children's Hospital. Just in unfortunate circumstances all the way around. And so this is what Terry Prince shared. Thanksgiving night, less than two hours after my daughter texted me a picture of our oldest granddaughter, Livy, smiling and happy at work at Auntie Anne's at the Galleria, she called me to tell me that Livy had had called regarding the shooting at the mall. We had no idea what was going on, but my daughter, Joanna, knew that we could get to the mall quicker than her husband, and we did. I was so upset to know that our sweet, innocent granddaughter would forever have the sound of gunfire and the sight of people literally jumping over the counter to get to safety in her mind. We couldn't get to her at the mall, and the police directed us to go elsewhere and wait for her. Randy, the calm one of the group, stayed in contact periodically with Livy. And once we met up with her at Joanne's Fabric, we all hugged her tight and said, I love you, lots of times. I went to bed thinking about this and woke up with it on my mind. I thought of the innocent little girl who had been shot and how her family must have felt. I wanted to do something for her family at the hospital, either take them lunch, dinner, or snack food, so they wouldn't have to leave their daughter's side. I decided then that I needed to find out how to get in touch with the family so I could put the $20 the church gave us to work. I looked on Facebook and a friend had just shared her friend Julie's post about her daughter Molly who had been shot the night before at the mall. I thought about it and decided to message my friend to find out how I could get in touch with her. Just as I was about to message her, my cousin Dana shared the mom's post too. I couldn't believe how easy this was becoming, but I know who made this happen. I spoke with Dana and put two baskets of snack food and water together and took them to Children's Hospital this afternoon. It was very much appreciated. Molly is doing good, though still in a lot of pain. They think she will be released Tuesday of next week. It did our hearts good to help them in this small way. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to do something like this. It's something that we all need to practice regularly on our own. In a season in the life of our church when we are binding together, uniting around a common vision, and each supporting with the resources God's entrusted us 
to build and reform a building to be a set-apart sanctuary for the glory of God, it is important to remember that a physical building, while really important, is never the end. It is one of the means to the end. It is so that we can become equipped and be launched by God in the world that our church may become a, ver- in a verb in every park, in every home, in every cubicle, in every place that we go. We empowered you last week and equipped you and challenged you so that you will hopefully be reminded once again, while maybe nobody was baptized as a new Christian because of our reverse offering, it has created in those of us who engaged in that practice a sense of openness and expectancy that if we are obedient, God may have something very, very important for us to do. Amen. The church at Ross Bridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ.